You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. And the title of the sermon today is An Annoying Gospel an annoying gospel. I want you to catch that. That word annoying is the key term for the day. Uh, The term pesky is going to pop up today. I want you to hear this because God is wanting to unsettle you this morning. Notice this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And here's the phrase, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So notice right there, what is annoying them is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is annoying the powers that be. And they arrested, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about... 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. So notice this. It's not just the official leaders, but who is gathered here are all the money men and women, the powers that be are there. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power Or by what name did you do this? And here's what I'm praying for this morning, for you and for me, because it's not enough for your voice to be heard in this day. We need the Holy Spirit speaking through us. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builder, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. God, these truths are fundamental. They are at the core of who we are. And there is a challenge here today, I believe, to stop settling for the status quo, to stop being in the shadows, to stop being quiet in our community, in our neighborhoods, but Lord, give us a voice and help us to tell people about the name above every name. God, I pray you will absolutely roll over us this morning and cause us to see where change is needed. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Peter and John were annoying. The Bible says here they were 
greatly annoying people for the sake of the gospel. Now, let me ask you, are you, are you annoying anybody with the gospel? You may be annoying, but that's not my question. My question is, are you an annoyance to the devil? Are you an annoyance to people who know that spiritually they are in a dark place? Now, let's be honest. There are different levels of annoying. And so to be lighthearted, I want to walk you through what annoying is all about. And let me begin with this. I have asked a few of my buddies uh, to illustrate one variety of annoying. Check this out. Mom, 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 mom. It has lettuce, cabbage, and tomatoes. Mom, are we there yet? It's not fair. It's not fair. Why? I, I, I didn't do anything else, I promise. It has lettuce, cabbage, and tomatoes. Tomato. Oh, man. It's a good thing the Langston boys are cute, right? Because, wow, I, I tell you, I got to tell you a funny story. When, when Avery was really little and I was first getting to know him, I walked over here uh, to, to, to where he was. He was, at, you know, the, he was there in Ridge Kids, and he had gotten himself in a little bit of trouble. I know that never, ever happens, I'm sure, but he got himself in a little bit of trouble, and his teacher was kind of reading him the right act, and you, you could just see him kind of absorbing all the negativity, and right when this lady reached the crescendo of criticism, Avery looked at her and went like this, and just gave the sweetest wink, and she melted and started loving on him. And I looked at that boy, and I said, he will be the next president of the United States. <laughs> that was genius. Genius. So watch out for that little one. It's always the babies, right? Well, that definitely gets in your mind a concept of annoying. That's not exactly what we're talking about. There's another level of annoying that's, that's a little bit different, and I experienced this the other day. I was sitting in my living room. I was just enjoying my life, and my wife says, where's the silver bowl? And I said, well, it's in the dishwasher. She said, that's not supposed to be in the dishwasher. I said, it's a bowl. I'll buy you another one. And she goes, that was my grandmother's bowl. So it's annoying to me that I hadn't been given instructions. <laughs> now, it shouldn't be that I need a 100-page manual to do the dishes, but evidently I do. Friends, that's another kind of annoying. But there's a third kind of annoying that I see in this text today that is really the important thing. I've mentioned annoying, because when we think of annoying, we think of those first two examples that are more petty and purposeless, just kind of the things we experience in life. But there's another level of annoying that is important for us to see today. And if you followed along in the text, you could see that in this text, in Acts 4, what we have are a group of people who are annoyed because they disagree with Peter and John. They're annoyed because this message, I think down deep, rings true and they know it. They're annoyed because people are not following them, the leaders of the Hebrew people anymore, but they're flocking 
to the disciples. They're annoyed because they're losing the argument and they have no spiritual power. That's the kind of annoying we see here. We see people who are preaching and teaching Jesus. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and they're making a difference and therefore they are annoying the culture around them or agitating, if we want to think of it in another way. They are stirring things up. Church, I want you to know we are at our best when we are annoying like this. Now, not the first two examples I gave you, but the third. We are at our best, church, when we are annoying the culture, when the culture is pointing to us and saying, we don't like what they're doing. I think more and more the culture is perfectly fine with churches like ours if we just stay in the confines of our churches, if we stay on our property, if we just keep our, our, our business to ourselves. The world doesn't mind us having church, but the world does mind us being out there shaking the bushes, as it were, into the highways and hedges and being something of an annoyance. We see here that the disciples were a great annoyance, and that annoyance led to 5,000 men. Did you see that in the text? 5,000 men. That doesn't even count the women and children who came to know Jesus. When the church is annoying, they are helping the world see Jesus. Annoying equals salvations. You see that? When we are annoying in a spiritual sense, when we are agitating for Jesus, the results are souls being saved. My contention is, is that souls aren't coming to Jesus here in Springfield as a result of our ministries as much as we would like because we're not being annoying enough. We are not being annoying enough. Many of us, we have settled for a very calm, casual approach to Christianity. And I want to tell you, when we have all agreed, from pastor on down to person in the pew, that just floating through life as Christians is good enough, that means the church is on the path to death. The church will die if we refuse to share. The church will die if we are not willing to be annoying for Jesus. I believe that the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, they had some power. They had some power that we can tap into. This is an amazing story because these powerful men in Jerusalem believed that they had killed the Jesus movement by killing Jesus. But notice that the disciples are saying, no you did kill Jesus, but he rose again. There's this pesky little problem that they keep bringing up, and that is Jesus is alive. And that pesky problem still subsists and exists today. Jesus is alive. And if we will believe that, and if we will share that, that annoying little truth can change the world. The apostles were so successful. In fact, catch this. The apostles were more successful than Jesus was in his ministry. Now, John 14, 12, Jesus predicted this. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you're going to do greater things. Well, these greater things are happening right here. 
We're seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, the gospel was working. It was, the Spirit was convicting people of their sins, and people were coming to know Jesus. I want you to realize that the power here is not that Peter and John are better or more super saints than you and me. They had just surrendered their lives to the Holy Spirit. They were annoying for the gospel because they were filled with the Spirit. And I'm crying out to you today. I believe God has been having me cry out to him. I need to be more annoying. I need to be more pesky. I need to be more stirred up. Because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. If you are in a coast mode, let me just say this, and I, I, hope, I hope I offend you. Um, if you are just coasting, my guess is you are not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. If you are satisfied with the, well, the lack of witness in your life, the lack of commitment to the ministries of the church, uh, the lack of anything even resembling joy in your worship, don't think for a minute that you and God are okay, because you are not. You cannot come in here week after week and be dry in your worship. You cannot be a member of Ridgecrest Baptist Church week after week and not, not volunteer for a ministry. You cannot come in here and, and for week after week after week after week just be spiritually noncommittal, never sharing your faith. Don't tell me and don't tell yourself that that's okay. That is not the picture we see of spirit-filled ministry in the New Testament. Let me just say this. I'm talking about annoyance this morning because being annoyed, annoyance leads to change. And I believe that too often, and this is where my guilt comes in, too often we're aiming to make everybody feel happy. We're worried about whether you like the music or not. We're worried or not whether you like the way I preach or not. And we're trying to like, build this thing up to make everybody happy. Quite frankly, if I'm agitating you and you're not happy, if I say something you don't like but it's from the scripture, I'm going to call that success. If, if what I'm saying to you makes you stay exactly where you are, you need another pastor. When I study leadership, especially military leadership, here's what I've learned. I've learned that the great leaders agitate. They're itching for a fight. Now, I ain't itching to fight with any of you. You hear me? I mean it. I don't have time for it. I don't. I don't have time to fight with you. Because the devil gives me plenty of uh, opportunity to fight. And the devil's going to give you plenty of opportunity to fight. We've got to be together because we do have a fight on our hands. And we better get agitated by the Holy Spirit because to win against the principalities and powers of darkness, we need the power of God. And the church has got to get shook up. We have been sitting on the spiritual couch too long. We are proud of who we are and what we've done. Praise God that we could announce $100,000 in gifts going out. But that's not enough. We cannot buy our way out of this problem. There are so many people who need Jesus, and therefore they need your witness. They need you, your love, your grace, your hospitality. Peter and John didn't go to college to learn how to preach a sermon. They didn't study apologetics to know methods. But they were filled with the Spirit.
and they became a great annoyance to all the world. In fact, later on, we find out that they turned the world upside down. And I'm going to tell you, Ridgecrest, it's time for us to turn the world upside down. We'll turn it upside down with a pesky gospel. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. What does it mean to have a pesky gospel? I think today in the church, we are prone to think that if we build it, they will come. That, that we can have certain ministries and certain methodologies, and those will work. I joke with people all the time. I don't read too many modern books. And, and, and that's not to be arrogant or anything else. Oh, I only read old stuff. But here's the deal. Too often, the modern books are, are assuming that if we'll just change our methods a little bit, if we'll come up with the latest, slickest design or ministry that will grow. And I just don't believe that's true. I believe there are ways we can grow and we can learn from those who are successful around us. But listen, much of what is called success in the church today has nothing to do with spiritual things. You can fill people, you can fill churches with people, but what we need is people filled with the Spirit. And, and, and there are ways to manipulate people to think that they need community or they need to be together. You can draw people in in a number of ways, and the Spirit of God may have nothing to do with it. But I believe the Spirit of God wants us to be filled with a power from on high. And I believe that God wants to build something that will remain. If it's of man, it'll come and it'll go. But if it's of God, it will come and it will stay. And I believe that God has put some people here at Ridgecrest that are in it for the long haul. I know that the gifts and the abilities in this room are great enough to change the world. It's just time for you to start believing that. We have to believe that we have something worth sharing. But not everybody wants revival. Not everybody wants God to move. The people who were in charge in Jerusalem ostensibly were spiritual people. They were people who should have wanted a revival. But I want you to know if your heart is not right with God, the work of God is more pesky than powerful. They did not see anything positive because they had nothing to gain. Listen, it is not about gaining in any human sense. I am not the, the, the leader of a business here. I'm not a CEO. That's not what I'm called to do. It's not about success in any material sense. What we need to ask is, are we changing the world for Jesus? Are souls being saved? Are people rededicating and redirecting their lives from a life of sin to a life filled with God? That's what success is. Jesus wants us to be leaders in our community. He had told the disciples in Luke twenty-two thirty 30 that they would be rulers over the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, he didn't mean that in the sense that they would be the official leaders like these guys we see in the early verses of chapter 4. That's not their goal. Their goal is not to take over the reins of power in some political sense. But they were called to be the spiritual leaders in their country and community. Let me say this, Ridgecrest. That's what God is calling us to be as well. We are to be spiritual leaders in our community. We are to lead people away from carnality and to Christ. And we need to realize this. The only way we can do that, and this is the first element of a pesky gospel, and that is that we need to preach about the sin of humanity. A pesky gospel points out sin. We need to be equal opportunity offenders when it comes to sin. We do not give anybody, especially our own hearts, a break. We do not excuse sin, poor behavior, anything that brings shame on God and on his church. 
we must crucify it. Holiness matters. We live in a culture today where people say, well, as long as someone is successful, it doesn't matter how they live their lives. That is not true. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to have a desire for holiness. We do that because to be holy is the first step in being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you can't have the Holy Spirit and not be holy. We have to strive for purity. We have to put every thought, listen, you may not be out there doing terrible things, but in your mind, if you're losing the battle for your mind, I want you to know that impurity in your mind is keeping you from being the pesky witness for the gospel you're called to be. We have to start winning the battle for the mind. When those thoughts come in, when evil and wickedness creeps in, we must overcome them with the power of the Spirit of God. Friends, we need to realize that a pesky gospel preaches sin. If we are going to make a difference in the community, we don't start off with that. We don't start off with telling people about their sins. We build relationships. But if we're teaching and preaching the gospel, we cannot avoid the sinful condition of humanity. If a person doesn't feel like they're lost, why would they think they need to be saved? We have to point out sin. And we have to do this in the context of proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Chapter 4, verse 2. The second part of the pesky gospel is that it is for the masses. If you'll look at the text here, you will see that the leaders of Jerusalem were not connecting with the people, but Peter and John were. I believe, now listen to me, I believe this. I want to encourage you with this. Most people are hungry for spiritual truth. Most people are never going to be satisfied with the offerings and solutions provided by the secular government or the secular world. In some of my travels in the last few months, I have had some conversations with people that have had no prior connection with evangelical Christianity. And I want to tell you, they were very open to the conversation. They wanted to learn about Christianity and about Jesus. Most of us are afraid of sharing because we think people don't want to hear. But if you are wise and considerate and loving, here's my experience. People are hungry for something spiritual. You have the answer in your heart if you have Jesus in your heart. And I want you to know this. Our message is not for a select few. We have a message for the masses. And I believe that's pointed out here in the fact that thousands of people came to know Jesus. When the Spirit begins to roll in a church and in a community, it's not a trickle, but it's a flood. God wants to reach the masses. He wants us to be all about reaching our community. Now listen to me. In this world today, even many Christians, instead of being advocates for Jesus... Many times we become advocates for politics. We put all of our energy into this political game. Now, hear me out. When I say this, I always have people, their ears are perking up. Now, some of you ain't been listening, but now you're listening because I'm talking about something you like. You're passionate about politics, but just be careful. Every ounce of energy you pour into political movements is an ounce of energy you're probably not giving to Jesus. Now, does that mean that you don't cooperate or get involved? Absolutely. You know, get involved. Vote. Be involved in the system. I'm not saying not to do that, but here's what happens. For too many of us, we're using political act activities 
as an excuse or as a, a, another lane, as it were, so that we're not really sharing Jesus. We're passionate about positions politically, but we're not passionately sharing Jesus. Now, here's something I've noticed over the years. With very few exceptions, the most famous politicians can't even fill a high school gym with people. That's how much, um, that's how much people want to go hear that. There's very little interest. I mean, you get those, those very gifted politicians. Every once in a while, people will flock to hear them. But for the most part, people just don't have time for that. But I'll tell you this. If we are on fire for Jesus, we'll do more than fill up gyms. We'll fill up auditoriums. Because people are hungry for something eternal. The best politics can offer the masses is a temporary relief in this world. Do you hear me? That's the best. Now, I'm not trying to dog you if you like politics, so just get off my back for a second, okay? Hear me out. Do you realize, though, if you will pour that same energy into the gospel, this isn't a temporary fix I'm talking about. I'm talking about eternal life. I'm talking about heaven. Let's get our priorities straight. Let's pour our energy and all of our annoying uh, uh, capacity into sharing the gospel. Some people are annoyed when you knock on the door and, and, and ask for, some, you know, to, for a vote. I think it would be better to knock on a door and ask somebody if they know Jesus. I think that's a better use of our time. The pesky gospel is for the masses. And the third point is this. The pesky gospel is in, is in Christ alone. The world really doesn't like this. The world wants an inclusive message. I was in a part of the world where the religion of the day is, and the religion of the culture is very pluralistic. Anything goes. Any, any, any God or idea is equal with another. The problem is, if all gods are equal, then no God is really God. We preach Christ alone. We have a message that says there is not salvation in anyone else. Verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. That's our gospel. We are pesky. We do not back off of that. We tell the world that we believe that Jesus sent his only son, and if God, or God sent his only son, and if God sent his only son Jesus to the world, then that means there's only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. A Jesus-only message may be pesky, but that's the Bible's message. So a pesky gospel points out human sin. It's for all people, okay? It's not just for the politically connected or the rich or the special folks. It's for the masses. And it's very exclusive in the sense that it's only in Christ alone. Now, I want to tell you, those three things seem like hurdles in our sharing of the gospel. It looks like that the world is going to reject one or all of those premises right out of the gate. And that's true. The carnal flesh doesn't like any of these pesky gospel realities. So that brings us to our only recourse. We have a pesky gospel, but we also have a powerful gospel. We need to realize that the power to share Jesus is beyond human effort. It's beyond human ability. Peter and John 
were brought before the Sanhedrin, the same group of men that had condemned Jesus just a few weeks or months before. The picture painted by Luke here is ominous. Notice in verse 7, and, they, and when they had set them in their midst. So the picture painted here, and the way the, the, the language reads, is that there's a circle and that the disciples are in the middle of it and all these haters are surrounding them. They are not just being persecuted or, 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 or prosecuted by a lawyer or a judge, but by all the powerful men of the land. And they're not doing it in some kind of way where there's any parity or equality. They are surrounded, and the picture here is of abject intimidation. The world will try to intimidate us. Every year we get a letter. Every year around the political season, I'll bring up politics again, Every year, I get a letter from somebody telling me that if I promote any candidate that's conservative or that loves Jesus, that we could have our tax status removed. One, that's a lie. Two, I don't care. But that's how the world does. They try to surround us and intimidate us, but we will have none of it. I don't care about that stuff. What it looks like to me is this. We need to make sure that we are where Jesus wants us to be. It's okay for us to be surrounded by enemies if we're standing with Jesus. Hear me out. I'd rather be in the fire with Jesus than safe without him. And we need to remember that when we are facing some pushback. And most of the pushback you're going to get from people is, I'm not interested. Bless your heart if that breaks your heart. But you don't have to be upset about it. Just be faithful. Notice verse 7 also says this. By what power or by what name did you do this? That's a good question. They want to know where the power comes from. And here's the deal. When we are preaching Jesus, we're preaching Jesus. It's all about him. The power is in Jesus' name. Chapter 3 verse 16 tells us that. They knew that Jesus did the healing. Remember chapter 3? That great healing miracle, that was in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. Why would we think such power is not available to us? The devil would have us believe such a lie, that this power is not available to us. Now, very quickly, I want to show you in verse 8. Notice what Peter does here. This is clever stuff. Clever Clever, clever. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is a brilliant argument. Here's what Peter says. He says, let me get this straight. You guys are persecuting me right now because a man was healed. Now, his argument is brilliant. He, he goes after their main argument. Now, he knows that the side argument is they don't want them to preach Jesus. But the truth is, this really all boils down to can God heal somebody or not? Well, he stops them in their tracks. This is better than, than a Philadelphia lawyer could come up with. I don't even know what that means, but you probably get what he means, right? So, brilliant argumentation here. Now, I want you to notice this. Peter and John didn't learn that fishing on the Sea of Galilee. This kind of wisdom, we are told at the beginning of that verse I read to you, is because the Holy Spirit filled them. 
They were surrounded by enemies. They should have been intimidated, but instead they speak as though they are the most trained politicians of their day, the best lawyers of their generation. They're able to speak in ways beyond their abilities because the Holy Spirit fills them. If you will be faithful in sharing your faith, don't worry about the words. They will come, and they will come from the Spirit of God. And the world doesn't need more of your words or my words. They need the Word of God. Mitigated through the Holy Spirit and with power in the name of Jesus. The gospel message has power all its own. The problem is we're not sharing the gospel we need to share, and we are never adequate to share, but that is why we must be spirit-filled. This power must come from above. The church needs men and women filled with the spirit, spirit-filled preaching, proclaiming the cross and resurrection. Your strength only takes you so far. So that brings us to the deciding point of the matter. We've talked about the pesky gospel. We've talked about the powerful gospel, but now we need to talk about the point the deciding point for us all. You see, Jesus is the inescapable deciding point in the universe. And you know that, right? As a believer, you know that at some point in your life, you had to believe in Jesus. And at that point in time, you went from being a lost person to being a saved person. He's the deciding point in your life. But let me say this. There have to be other points in your life where you redirect, rededicated, rededicate, and refresh. Every once in a while, my computer or my phone will get stuck and I have to refresh it. And then boom, it flies right through. I don't think it's any different for you this morning. Many of you are believers, but it's time for a rededication and a refreshment because you've not been annoying enough for Jesus. We need to be more annoying. So let me ask you this. Are you brave enough to preach a pesky gospel? Are you humble enough to let the Spirit fill you with power? Are you wise enough to see Jesus as the only way for human beings to have a heavenly hope. I think Acts 4 tells us all we need to know. We can't be worried about getting along with our culture, our sinful culture. We have to start confronting sin. We will be robbed of the power God grants his people through the Holy Spirit if we don't start confronting sin, if we don't start sharing the gospel. Friends, it is our privilege to annoy the comfortable and comfort the annoyed. That's what we are called to do as a church. And I fear that too often our bland religion that is acceptable to the world is keeping us from genuine Christianity. We need spirit-filled people in this room aggressively sharing the message of Jesus, sharing this message, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want you to look at verse 12. If you have your copy of Scripture, I want you to open it up. I want you to look at it. And I want you to realize if that verse of Scripture can't motivate you, nothing will. I'm going to say this. Just because you're sitting in this church and you have a baptismal certificate doesn't mean you're saved. If you have no desire to love Jesus and to share his gospel, you need to do some serious introspection this morning. Because if verse 12 is no motivation to you, you can blame that on me and your church, but the reality is you're dead inside. Jesus is salvation. He is the one way to God, the one way to heaven. The only option for us as a church is to witness in his name. 
A little more than a week ago, I was sitting in, a, in the lobby of the, the hotel where I was staying, talking to a pastor friend of mine. And I've said for years that in my experience, it takes about 10 gospel encounters, sharing the gospel, having a spiritual conversation. It takes about 10 to have one that bears any fruit. And when I say fruit, I mean they come to know Jesus or they, they realize they need to rededicate their heart to Christ. So when I say fruit, I'm talking about one of those two things, okay? Ten. Now, I want you to think about that. That's a pretty low success rate. My friend told me that he had read somewhere that it's more like maybe one out of seven. He's an optimist, I guess. My experience was one in ten. That was anecdotal. That's just my guess. But whether it's one in seven or one in ten, that ought to communicate to you this morning. If you haven't shared the gospel ten times in the last ten years, that's probably why you've not seen anybody come to know Christ or rededicate because of your witness. So here's the deal. We're going to talk about this more in the weeks to come. But one of the things the Lord laid on my heart when I was laid up uh, in South Asia was this. Let's take that number seven. Let's multiply it by average attendance last month was around 1,200. Let's call that roughly uh, 8,400, something like that. If the math is wrong, forgive me. I'm a preacher. I don't do math much. But let's call it somewhere between eight and 9,000, all right? We need to commit. Now, I know this seems so elementary and basic, but I don't know what else to do because if I don't get you to aim for something, you're going to hit it uh, every time. I think we need to commit to at least 8,400 gospel conversations in the next year. No amens, eh? It's because you're scared. Let me just say it. You're scared. And I am too. I, I, I am that neighbor uh, as David Burton and I have talked about neighbor, I'm that neighbor that thinks I'm doing a good job by not stirring up the pot. But I want to tell you, what your neighbors need is you to be a little more annoying. <laughs> Clean up after the dog. Don't play the music too loud. Don't be annoying like that. But at least be present. You know what? It would be better for you to be that neighbor that's a little bit of annoying, but when they need something, they know your name and they know they can count on you. I want to tell you right now, church, we're going to give some avenues, some opportunities to make this happen. We're not just going to say, share the gospel seven times and check off your list. We want to provide some opportunities where we can reach our neighborhood here and our neighborhoods as believers. But listen to me. We have to start agitating. We cannot assume that coming to church and checking off this box on Sunday is the beginning and end of our spiritual commitment. The apostles were pesky. The apostles were annoying. And they were stirring up trouble in Jerusalem. And may God cause us to stir up some trouble in Springfield, Missouri for the glory of the kingdom. Will you help me be annoying for Jesus? Let's do that together and pray for each other because this, we are, listen to me, don't take this wrong, we are inviting hell into our lives. Do you understand? I've seen it, you have too. Every time we say yes to a big thing for Jesus on the mission field or locally, we are going to be attacked. So I'm glad you clapped. But now we've got to get arm in arm together, brothers and sisters, and pray like we've never prayed before. Because if we start annoying for Jesus, the devil will push back. Let's get ready for that.
Let's pray and commit our hearts. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.